Welcome to Theology Thursday, an ecumenical space for students to discuss matters of faith and theology. I'm your host, Connor Grubbs. I am your co-host, Ryan Mock. And I'm your co-co-host, Johnny Grubbs. And our guest, Kanisha McKay. Sorry. All of the above. It's fine. All of the above. <laughs> uh, and actually, you've been on the podcast twice before. Yes, I have. Yeah, we did. Uh, uh, you and one of our friends, Caitlin, came on and talked about self-image. And that episode, actually, because we have a lot of youth that listen to this, uh, that's been like a really popular one. Really? And yeah. There's there's two. We, we have one where we talk about suicide and one where we talk about like self-image. Mm-hmm. And both of those are like been really good so been resources that people still go back to and use which is awesome because that's why we do it and then there was something where we talked about the history of valentine's day and luke and caitlin came on and we recorded that in your house oh i didn't remember that yeah Yeah. um so uh you're back welcome back welcome back um and we're kind of on an off season right now but we wanted to come back and talk about some of the things that are going on and um, last week we had Pastor John Matthews on. Johnny wasn't here because he's lame. Yeah, on vacation. Um, and John Matthews is a local pastor here in the area, also the regional director for our Baptist Association, um, which they're not. I, I'm a part of. Uh, so uh, I've been a mentor in my life, and, and uh, it was cool to sit down with him and talk. Specifically, last week's focus was how do church leaders address this, and also how do white church leaders address this because when we have predominantly white and predominantly black churches it's unfortunately rare to see a, you know a solid mix um in the churches martin luther king jr everybody's been quoting that lately that you know 11 a.m on sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week um but so so since that's the case what do white pastors do in their churches to speak out against racism and that was a really good episode a really good conversation mm-hmm. Um, and we have some more ministry leaders and stuff coming on uh, in the coming weeks, but we also wanted to sit down, uh, one, we wanted to get a woman's perspective, and two, we wanted to hear from somebody uh, who isn't necessarily a pastor, like just somebody who's a Christian and living their life um, uh, about everything that's going on. So one of the first things that we wanted to kind of hear about was you've actually participated in some of the protests in our area in St. Petersburg and what was that like? It was honestly life-changing for me it was something like being out there it just makes you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself which I think in our generation is it's not something we get to be a part of often um, being feeling and being amongst people that are essentially standing to further the work that was done um, from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and and people before us, it was it was just life changing. I really enjoyed um, seeing the unity and and having the insider perspective because there was a lot of things said about what the protests were like, and it, it was amazing. Mm. So I enjoyed it. And one of the questions I had too is for somebody who's in an interracial marriage mm-hmm. and who is a mother of three children. I mean, what what's going through your head as you're seeing? You know, with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and Maude Arbery, all these things that have happened recently, as a parent, what, how does that make you feel? I mean, what, what's going through your head? As a parent, it is um, heartbreaking, frustrating, 
it's one of those things where like you and I have talked about having to explain certain things to people and seeing people's perspective after your family is so involved with theirs um, and seeing people form opinions, seeing how um, undervalued I think we are as a minority in the world and having a very mixed race family, predominantly black. Um, it's just one of those things that you hope you never have to talk to your children about, but especially with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that we're facing today. It's a conversation I've had to have with my children, um, my almost eight-year-old and five-year-old at ages I never thought we'd even have this conversation. Um, so it's been very, very enlightening and, and very interesting. And it's it's been a rough time. Yeah. So you can't really explain some of the things that are happening to, you know, well, why was he killed? And, and certain things like that. So it's difficult. Right, yeah. So with all the all these protests, do you think uh, racial reconciliation is getting better or worse? Do you, which direction do you think we're going as a nation currently? Honestly, I'm not sure. I think that now in 2020, we're the only difference of what's happening is we're seeing it on a bigger scale. We have mm -hmm. social media and things like that. These are all things that were prevalent beforehand. Um, I think now people are more vocal about um, their discrimination or racism. Okay, so we talked last week with Pastor Matthews about how church leaders should respond, but I think you have an interesting perspective as a, a member and attender of a predominantly white church. What are some things that you want to see from your leadership and in the pulpit um, during all this? Um, so one thing that I would love to see is it makes me feel awesome when people reach out and ask how we're doing. Um, also just inviting and being a church that literally tells people, because sometimes people don't know, um, and like you said, sometimes we do have that segregation within a church where you have a white church, black church saying, we welcome everyone. We want you to be here. You belong here, not a guest here. Um, so I think that's definitely the first step. And then the rest, I think we've got. So, um, yeah. Just has to be said out loud. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just have to be vocal about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of what all Christians are, are kind of figuring out right now is you know we can't we can't stay silent about right. these issues because I you know I said in the last couple of weeks that white privilege means that for me or or Johnny or Ryan as a white man we can we have the option to ignore this issue mm -hmm. but as Christians we don't right. um, and. Uh, you, you had a question, too, that kind of ties into that. So. Yeah, so we're doing a series with the youth group, uh, with my youth group, called More Than a Hashtag. It's a series on justice. We actually try to do a series on justice annually, but we're really focusing in hard on the issue of racial reconciliation. And one of my students asked me, what, what is systemic racism? And so I gave the biblical example of the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a theological difference, but there was also the fact that the Samaritans were mixed race and so forth. But then I also brought up like the issue of redlining, which mm -hmm. perpetuates segregation to this day. You know, I think it's one of the, the most stark examples of systemic racism that we can cite. And um, I got some unsolicited feedback later, you know, that, um, you know, you really just need to focus on God's word and not get political. Right. So what do you say to people that, you, you, if you use words like white privilege or systemic racism, that's just being political. Yeah, it's 
it's definitely pertinent to God's word when we know that he wants all nations and that our experiences and, and university really helped me understand that who I am as a person who he created me to be is something that I can use as a platform to bring other people to him, regardless of race. Um, and so when people say that, it kind of frustrates me because for me, like Connor said, I don't have the privilege of ignoring this. This is something that I've talked to my children about that are very young, um, that my parents have talked to me about. Um, and it is a kingdom issue. It is something that is important. And when when we're talking about um, just being believers and knowing that God wants us all to be one unit and one body, um, and that he created us and he knew where he was gonna create us from. So when we're talking about um, racism and justice or whatever in America, it's, it's not a political issue. It is a kingdom issue. So it's not about being Democrat or Republican, or if you say white privilege, you're you're crazy yeah. liberal or anything like that. No, and it's frustrating when even you know you're on Facebook or whatever you see people say one thing and then you get all this pushback. And um, I said it's it's crazy to me because when someone shares their experience living in Germany or wherever they live, and they're telling me what their experience is like, I'm just like, oh wow. You know, I don't really have a preconceived notion, or if I do, it's now being debunked. But I never have that pushback to say, well, you're this type of person, or you're a liberal, or you're this, you know, it's none of that. It's just me kind of taking in what they're saying. So I, I think politics has nothing to do with it. Right. It kind of reminds me of an example that, you know, I give the students I work with a lot when we talk about evangelism is like, before you get all caught up in apologetics, just tell your story, because people can't argue that. But people, people do. It's like, it's weird. This, this is my life. I'm just telling you, you know what? Right. So, and, and and that's that's really important, I think, for people to stop thinking about it as politics and start thinking about it as as the lives of real people, you know, and, and actually hearing those stories. So, yeah. so this is a gospel issue, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Do you have any other questions? Not at the moment. So um, as we work towards reconciliation in our churches, we also have to think about our society as well. And so the, the big movement today is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is, are we to partner in that movement? Uh, are, are we, as Christians, should we be shouting out Black Lives Matter? How would you respond to people who say, no, all lives matter? Um... Again, another deep breath. Um, all lives matter, yeah. And for all lives to matter, black is included. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing. And, and like Connor was saying, you know, when he's telling the students about evangelism, <laughs> just tell your story. You can't argue with that. We're in a day and age where you tell your experience to someone and they argue with it. You say, you know, my black life matter and they say mine too. Okay, well, we're not really talking. I, I'm just telling you. It's not, it's not something that you would think that you would get any pushback on. Um, black Lives Matter is just, just that. It's a movement by black people to say, we matter in America, like we're here. Because we, you feel, you you felt like you, we have not valued you. Right, because we feel um, and have felt invalidated or cast aside or criminalized, demonized. Mm -hmm. um, and so to say, we matter too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think again, you know, when we're talking about what we should do as Christians, we look to the Bible and we're to support each other and partner in with whatever we can 
to help aid a situation. And I think that most Christians following God's word and, and walking in that obedience would say, hopefully, yeah, black lives do matter. You do matter. And if we start there and you acknowledge that we do matter, then I think it's something that we definitely should be able to get behind. Okay. So, so we could say black lives matter and it's true. Uh, so that's the movement, but there's also the organization black lives matter. Right. Are we as Christians, should we partner with an organization like Black Lives Matter? I think we should do everything and anything that we can to be a part of something that stands for what Jesus does and do it in a way that is pleasing to him. So if we can partner with Black Lives Matter organization in doing peaceful protest or uh, using your voices or your platform, um, encouraging people, uh, evangelizing, then I think, yeah, we should do that. Okay. So um, in, in talking about systemic racism, there are a lot of people who deny that there's systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, they would say, or some people would say, they point to problems in the black community and say that many of those problems are not the result of systemic racism, but rather those problems are self-inflicted by the black community. Thoughts? Whew. Um. <laughs> So it's interesting to me that people say that because most of the people that say that have never lived in a predominantly black community, um, for one. If you've been to one, you'll see that there are more liquor stores in a black community, um, in, a, in a predominantly poor community um, filled with minorities. There are, so when we're talking about systemic racism and justice, and we also, you know, people bring up welfare a lot. Most welfare programs will not let you participate um, with a man in the household. So even if you are a low income family and you have a man in the household, you can't participate. So if we take that and we multiply that times years of um, race, uh, racism, uh, you know, oppression and things like that, we get a community that lacks male figures, mass incarceration as well. You know, uh, a white mom smoking weed is hipster, a black man selling or smoking weed is a criminal. Mm. Um, so I think when people say that, they're, they're negating the bigger issues and uh, systematic racism is a real thing. You know, black communities tend to have the worst schools. You know, uh, for, a, for a teacher to be a part of a predominantly black school, they have to pay them more um, because there's a lot more that comes with that. And so we have higher turnover rates for teachers as well in schools that are predominantly a black area. So when people say that uh, systematic racism and things like this is not a thing and, and it's self-inflicted, again, you know, people say black and black crime, it's not real. Because we don't say white on white crime, we don't say Asian on Asian crime. It's only used when people want to say, well, you did that to yourself. Um, are there issues within the black community that um, we as black people should definitely strive to be better and work on? Yeah, but is there a system in place that um, you know, when you look at jail sentences, a black man typically gets longer, longer in jail than any other race, you know, so I think it's important to look at all the issues and not just kind of point a finger and say, well, you did that to yourself and you're not even in, you've never been in the community. You're not aware of what's really going on in that community. A lot of white people don't know that stuff. And I right. think the biggest problem that I face is like when I talk to people about like the war on drugs and then the sentences that were changed, you know within the past decades even, you know, and, and haven't been adjusted. No, right. There's been nothing done to change right. that. 
Um, when people are faced with that, either they're like, hmm, I'm going to think about that. Or they're like, they like clam up and it's like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay. like <laughs> how do we, how do we, how do we navigate those waters and, and, and help people be educated beyond their, I don't know, that, that pride or that, so I was talking to his dad and I said, you know, it's funny that to me, people form an opinion without being educated. And I think that's just a human thing. You know, we have these associations with things and we don't really understand. There's a difference between someone asking a black person why you don't have a dad and someone saying, I noticed that in the black community it strongly lacks male role models. Can you can you tell me what your experience or what your opinion is? Those are two different perspectives. Mm -hmm. One is I'm trying to understand. I noticed this, this is an observation, I wanna learn. And the other is I'm kind of poking at you, I'm kind of badgering you and I'm kind of throwing that in your face. So I think you said that a lot of people don't know that. I was told recently that we should try and educate people. And that's really funny to me because as a Christian, a pastor can stand up there and tell you whatever you want. But at the end of the day, a good one will tell you that you have to do the work and you have to study your word. There are a number of documentaries, a number of books, a number of resources, especially now Netflix, Hulu, I mean, Amazon Prime, they all have sections on like, if you don't even want to read a book, you can watch a movie. But even when you watch that, you kind of have to go into any situation with a blank slate and say, I want to understand this. Mm -hmm. You can't go in with your preconceived notions or as you're watching, you're like, it's not real. You have to watch from an understanding point of view and saying, this is someone's experience. You know, we're watching what's happening in the world. And I had a conversation with someone that definitely went left the other day. And they said, you know, when we're watching these videos, there's no nuances in there. My dog, um, my dog uh, would attack someone that was coming up to my baby if it smelled alcohol in its breath. And, and there's no, there's none of these things. So police officers, they can get a sense for who's what. And I was just really like, it. so we're in a day and age where people will go to the ends of the world to justify something that was done and don't take half the effort to educate themselves and try and understand. Uh, there are good and bad people of any race, um, that's just human nature. But I think the problem is, again, you know, criminalizing one type of race, labeling a type of person as a criminal. I'm married to Avi, who's a Mexican man, and he was told when he moved to St. Pete that he should never go to the South Side to always lock your car around black people because they steal. And he, my husband just told me that. We've been married for two years. Because yeah. I was like, we were having this talk. I was like, so what, now that you're married to me, what's your perception? What have you been told? what do you think? And he said, well, this is what I was told. And I was like, wow. Wow. That's a, right. And so we do that. We don't realize it. You know, you drive through the South side of town and you lock your door. You're telling your kids that this area is more dangerous and maybe, maybe it is. Um, I think you should have your doors locked regardless. Maybe it is, but once you see a certain type of person and you lock your door and you do that year after year, or you see a certain type of person, you clutch your bag or you um, distance yourself, you're, you're programming yourself and maybe whoever's around you to think, oh my gosh, that type of person is dangerous. I should be fearful. Right. So I think we all have to be very careful about what we do and how we say it. And I know that it's a touchy time to say certain things because people will say um, someone is racist, but I also think that 
again, it's how am I saying this? Am I coming from a standpoint where I'm really trying to understand? And I do think there should be a safe space for people to ask questions that are not a minority or whatever the case may be for us to exchange information. Yeah, that's super important because I think that this has brought it to the forefront in such a way that people who normally wouldn't talk about these issues are kind of having to. Right. And I think a lot of people assume, well, I'm not racist. There's no way anybody in my church is racist. We're fine. But what are some some experiences, conversations you've had with people in a church setting? We don't have to name names and throw that stuff out there. But <laughs> I am curious. I think it's really important for people to hear things that are fairly common amongst white Christians, ideologies and mindsets that maybe the people don't even recognize as racist themselves. Yeah. Like it, it's kind of this indirect thing because they just grew up in it, which doesn't justify it. I do think there's a lot of people who, and we, and we talked about this the past couple of weeks too, they're racist and they don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the things that I've heard the most that just infuriates me is you're not like them. So what happens is I'll come to a church and I talk like this and uh, over the phone, people presume that the way I speak is associated with a race. So I sound white or I present myself a certain kind of way, which has more to do with um, me having military parents and living up north or whatever the case may be. Um, you're not like them. Um, or you're so well-spoken. It, as as if to be surprised or I've heard people mention me being well-spoken and in the same context talking about someone that maybe um, is very well-educated but just doesn't speak this way you know we have slang and we have colloquialisms and we have dialects and things like that um, or just the shock that people have as a black person in a church when you come from a certain type of family, you carry yourself a certain type of way. It's very surprising to them. Um, or that token black person in the church where whenever we have uh, conversations of diversity, everyone rushes to you. And and I get it because where else are you gonna get that from <laughs> within your church um, if it is a predominantly white. However, you wanna feel like you're validated and important year round not just Black History Month, um, not right. just like, oh, it's February, let's go ask her some questions, or <laughs> even, which I get that now we're having to have these conversations. Um, but yeah, people say little things like that, or, you know, I have children and they're all different shades. Are they all yours? Or asking who their father is. Is this that... I can't tell you how many times I've been in a church and someone's asked me, that's another thing. Um, when I have all my children, are you married? Where's mm -hmm. their dad? Is that their dad? All they Are they all yours? You're so well-spoken. Where are you from? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. It's those little things that's, you're very surprised that I sound like this. You're not surprised that I have all these children, but you definitely want to know if there's a man in the household, <laughs> um, how did they all come to be? And why are they called different shades? And it's just one of those things where, for me, I always tell my husband, it's one thing when you get uh, discrimination, racism, or these little comments from the outside world, but it's a whole different feeling when you get it from people that say that they're Christians. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, as a Christian, typically when I'm in church, when, I, when I'm around fellow Christians, my guard is so low. I don't think anybody can hurt me. I don't think anyone's out to get me. I don't think... 
And because I feel like my guard is so low and people say things like that, I think that's why a lot of black Christians tend to stay within a predominantly black church. They feel automatically understood. Don't have to explain yourself. If you get um, frustrated or we're very expressive at times or very aggressive or just very assertive, people are all like that there. So we don't usually have to explain ourselves where I think a lot of black Christians feel as though in a predominantly white church, we have to explain it. Oh, I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean to say it that way. And, mm -hmm. and so that can be very difficult to navigate. Yeah, for sure. I think those, those experiences are important for people to hear because yeah. I think everybody needs to take a look. I think, you know, we've been taking a look at, okay, what are assumptions and patterns of thought in my own heart, my own life that, that need to go. And I think pretty much all assumptions need to go. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's a starting point. It's just everybody you meet. I mean, that's, you know, not just not assuming things. Cause right. that's where it sounded like a lot of those frustrations came from. Right. It's like being surprised. I expected. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. Just get to know people for who they are. Right. In one-on-one. -on -one, so any other questions that you guys have? Oh, and not associating whatever they are to a race. Mm -hmm. Someone, if a black person likes rap music, okay. Yeah. Or if they don't like rap music and they like contemporary, that's okay too. It doesn't mean that they're trying to be anything that they aren't or they're being exactly what you thought they were. We're right. people and we all like different things. This question would probably have been more appropriate when we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. There is a, uh, a slogan being thrown around, silence is violence. Is it, would it, is it racist to not say anything? I don't think it's racist to not say anything. I think it's unwise. Um, you know, I'm sure most people have experienced being bullied at some point in time. And if you haven't, great. Um, and most, I believe that most parents talk to their kids about bullying. It's something that, well, if someone does this or whatever, and we all have different approaches to it. But I know for me as a parent, I always tell my kids, if you see something wrong happening, and you're around it and you don't say anything, I think that you become part of the problem because that person at the time may not have had enough strength to, to speak for themselves. Um, and if you felt like something was wrong, that was your obligation. So I do think that in us seeing that there's a problem and not saying anything, you are unintentionally choosing a side. Mm -hmm. um, if you see, and especially as believers, if you see that I'm hurting in some way and you've done nothing and you acknowledge that I am and it's there, the question is, why are you ignoring it? Because it makes you uncomfortable? Um, or, and I said this to someone, if, if there's a pastor and we're not talking about this because there's a fear that people will be upset, then you're admitting that you know what type of people you have in your congregation. And by not saying anything because you're afraid those people will leave, we're creating an unsafe environment for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that in not saying something, there is a lot of harm being done unintentionally or maybe intentionally. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much time we have. You want to keep going? Um, so <clears throat> this might be a broad question. I don't know, but why in the world do, why, why are so many white American evangelicals so against all of this? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I have no clue. I, I think it kind of goes back to what you said about people making it political and trying not to take 
um, a specific stance when when people are claiming to be uh, evangelical, especially white people, and are not taking a stance. I pretty much dismiss that they really have a close walk with Jesus, in my opinion, um, because looking at his life, the Bible is our guide. Looking at how he dealt with things, looking at what happened in the Bible and where it happened, and to dismiss that that can't be happening in our world. I look and I'm like, wow, I wonder, you know, someone said to me, if you were on a hike with Jesus and he stopped, how long would it be before you ran into the back of him? Would it be a year? Would it be a month? That's the question I ask when people say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and then I don't want nothing to do with this, or this is about politics. Mm. How, how long would it be before you bumped into the back of them? Mm. And I think what I've found with, with a lot of people that I've talked to uh, that are, are white Christians who are against it is they, you know, they say, oh, you're, you're being too political, like, <laughs> like you experienced they're the ones who are politically motivated. Right. Yeah. The, the only reason they're saying that is because in their perspective, for you to say that you are against racism is for you to say that you're a leftist Democrat liberal and they <laughs> love Republicanism so much and yeah. they love you know their party and their so much and they associate any sort of you know stand for justice and things to change, you know, in our nation, uh, they, they associate that with the left and with, with Democrats and stuff like that. And they do it so much and they hate Democrats so much that it's all political for them. And I think what it, what it's revealing, and by the way, this isn't anything about me saying that I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. I'm saying that there are Christians who are putting that before their identity in Christ, right. because I think what that reveals is Really, they're, if they're going to say, no, I don't want anything to do with that, what do they really love the most? Right. Is it their political party or is it Jesus? Like, what's their main priority? Yeah. What? And here's the even bigger problem in the American church and in a lot of white churches is that people think being a Christian means being a Republican. Right. They tie those two identities together. Right. And then even for us, a lot of black people think of Jesus because of that as a white man's God. Um, mm. There are a ton of black people that will say black people hate everything about slavery except Christianity. And I challenge that and say, because it was people justified slavery by the Bible. Um, I always challenge that and say, well, if you read the Bible, you'll see that I don't care who threw it in a slave space or whatever the case may be. That wasn't what Jesus stood for. Um, so I think those two kind of feed off each other. And then we have a group of people that think that same thing. Mm. They can't go into a church, especially a white one, because there is a lot of undercover racism. There is a lot of Republicanism, which, again, politics and the church, two separate things. And they don't have to merge. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and the Democratic Party shouldn't have a monopoly on fighting racism. Like yeah. Republicans could fight racism exactly. too. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. That's what I was saying earlier. I'm mm -hmm. not. I'm not advocating for either side. I'm just saying this tends to be what happens: is people assume that that's for liberals, mm -hmm. and that you know this is for. And it's it's really unfortunate that ultimately, when you make this a political issue, it is going to cause more division. It is going to cause more polarization. Um, and, and that's why we have to address it, you know, on a kingdom level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Any other questions? Uh, probably all I got. Johnny? I don't, I, just, I don't, we could go on all day. So I, 
No, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So I want to know if this is just my privilege talking or not, but I'm trying to figure this out. And sure. it seems to me that there is a difference between prejudice and racism, mm -hmm. that, that people come with their prejudice and that it becomes racism when they're not willing to face their prejudice and deal with it, put it to death and, mm -hmm. and, and move on. Do you think that that is a fair statement? I think, think that's a fair statement. Okay. I don't think everyone that's prejudiced is racist. Um, but I do think if you're starting to sound racist, the rest you probably are. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a very fair statement. Yeah, and in that sense, what we were talking about earlier, I, I guess it's more so the prejudice that a lot of people have without realizing it. If right. you're racist, you probably know it. But, <laughs> or yeah. think you're not at all. Like, yeah. yeah, never. I have black friends. Is what yeah. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've noticed, I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have to get over. It was like, I think the prejudice is coming to light, you know, it's just being revealed mm -hmm. in us. And um, we got to get rid of that pride that keeps us from dealing with it because I think at that point when you're like you're just like no I'm not racist I'm not racist you're not dealing with your prejudice then you start right. to play the part you know mm -hmm. yeah. definitely um well you mentioned earlier that there's a lot of books and movies and stuff available what are some resources that you would point people to to kind of educate themselves I so actually, I think that reading books by black authors in whatever genre you're interested in mm -hmm. is really good because it gives you a different perspective and it makes you more aware of um, different styles because I think there are a lot of, I love Shannon Draper, she's a black author, um, but there's a lot of, from, from the books I've read that are white author and then maybe black heritage books or whatever, there's a different perspective there. Mm. Um, I would encourage people to read books that are about a black child's experience. Um, I'm telling you, they're everywhere. Like Target even has a section. Um, I got Marley a book and it's like, don't touch my hair. And it's about <laughs> being black and having like a big head, full head of hair. And people always want to stick your hands in it. So I think that um, any book that's by a black author and maybe read a few and just get a different perspective. I think that's what it's all about. Someone um, had said to me, you know, you would think just like them if you were in their circumstances, if you were raised by the people they were raised in, with, um, lived in the area that they lived in. And I agree. So the way we change that is full on immersion, like mm -hmm. read those books. Um, Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime all have different movies, uh, Just Mercy and all these documentaries. The 13th is one of my like favorite documentaries on Netflix um, about the school system and mm -hmm. um, just different things that happen within there. So. Yeah, just read it all, watch it all, and just get and gain a different perspective than you had before. And then maybe, I don't know, it's some black scholars saying stuff, maybe I think people start to, it's sad, but I think a lot of black people think unless you're a scholar, unless you're a doctor, you're not heard. Mm -hmm. um, so there are documentaries by black scholars and authors. So yeah. maybe cool. we'll hear you now. Cool. Well, and then I'm going to link a few resources because we've been trying, we always try to give you something that you can take this further than just this podcast. I'm gonna link you to undivided.net. They have a five week series that we're actually gonna be going through with our youth group starting tonight. But it's J.D. Greer, president of Southern Baptist Convention and Dottie Lewis just sitting down together and having conversations about uh, racial reconciliation. And it's all from a biblical perspective and kind of digging into what the Bible has to say about it. It's really solid and it's all free. It's videos, small group discussions, all the resources are there. And if it's something that maybe you wanna go through with your church, I highly recommend it. 
and then also a book that is free that would be a great start that uh, I read at the beginning of the year was The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. It is his autobiography, and it's absolutely incredible. His faith is something that is so amazing to me because he lived his whole life almost every uh, master that he had before he won his freedom was like an elder or a deacon or a leader at a church and used the Bible justified, but he still knew the true God of the Bible. And it, it never, it never led him to stray away from the faith. Like just, and, and what he has to say about his faith and the gospel and, and all that is just it, in, inspiring. It's like, whoa, how, like how after everything that he experienced, but it's because and this is important, and I this is really a big part of my testimony, and, and, and something I always stress to people, our faith has to be in God, not the church. Right. Has to be in God, not people. Amen. So, um, anything, any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I would say is, let's all challenge ourselves to be more active listeners, and kind of, um, when someone is sharing their experience with you, just listen, and if you have questions, asking them in an understanding appropriate manner um and then i think we'll be on our way to bigger and better so yeah awesome 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 All right. awesome go ahead and say it, say it ryan yeah <laughs> <laughs>